Well, this morning, before we begin our time in God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for the blessings that we've already enjoyed in song and prayer and in scripture reading and praise together. Lord, as we come to this time of study, we pray that you would open our hearts, that we might receive the truth of your gospel. Lord, this is a hard word, but it is a good word, and we trust you in it. pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I had to run downstairs uh, because I needed some water because I'm preaching on hell today, so I figured I might get parched uh, and uh, (laughs) decided I'd get some water. But uh, actually, before service began, if you want to go ahead, you can be turning to Matthew chapter uh, 13, and we're going to be in verses uh, 47 through 50 today. But as uh, I was... Uh, before service started, I was greeting some folks, and there was, it was pretty slim at that point. It's filled in a little bit uh, since then, but I got back there to James, and James mentioned about the uh, slim crowd, and I said, yeah, I guess I've run most of them off. And I, said, I told him, I said, I'm going to get the rest today. So <laughs> today we're, going, we're ending our study in the, uh, the parables that Jesus is preaching through, in the kingdom parables of Matthew chapter 13. And along the way, we've seen that the kingdom of God is like a field where seed is spread. In some cases, the seed grows and produces fruit, but in other cases, it doesn't. And just so, the gospel of the rule of King Jesus is spread throughout all the world, and as it spreads, some people believe it and live by it. But others don't, and the reasons for that are various, but people reject the gospel as it is being preached. The kingdom of God, as Jesus has showed us in another parable, is also like a, a field where good and bad seed is planted. And the resulting wheat and the weeds, they grow up together until the time of the harvest, and when that time of harvest comes, the, weed is, uh, the wheat is saved and the weeds are burned. And so it is with the kingdom of God that there are those who are part of the elect people of God who trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and there are those who harden their hearts and those who harden their hearts will be gathered at the end of the age and thrown into hell. And Jesus also compared the kingdom of God to small things like a mustard seed and yeast that starts out insignificantly, but then it grows and it spreads to bless others. And so, too, the kingdom of God is like uh, that, that mustard seed that starts out small, like in the act of preaching, the foolish act of preaching the gospel. It starts out small, like a grain of faith in the heart of someone who believes and hears that gospel, or hears that gospel and believes it. But then it flourishes and it grows and it spreads to benefit the whole earth. Then last week we saw that the kingdom of God is like treasure that is worth selling everything that you own to buy. So the kingdom must be rightly valued above everything else in this world. So today we come to one final ominous parable. And it's helpful as we approach this parable to remember the main theme of all of these parables. Remember, Jesus is responding to a whole chapter in chapter 12 of his rejection and the fact that time and again people rejected his ministry. His disciples want him to just announce his kingdom, to just tell everybody who he is, and maybe then everybody will believe him. 
But Jesus begins to tell these parables instead. And Jesus is showing in these parables something that we have a hard time accepting nowadays, and that is that the kingdom of God is not for everyone. It is not for those who reject it. It is not for those who half-heartedly accept it. It is not for those who do not produce any fruit. It is not for those who don't value it above everything else. So with all that in mind, let's read together Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So from this passage, I want you to see two points. First, I want you to see the carelessness of unbelief. And second, the certainty of judgment. The carelessness of unbelief and the certainty of judgment. So first, the carelessness of unbelief. This parable deals with a subject that would have been very familiar to Jesus' hearers. Jesus is preaching this parable from a boat. Remember it says at the beginning of chapter 13 that the crowd pressed in and so he gets in a boat and he pushes out from the shore so that he gets better acoustics and he can preach to the whole crowd. And so those who are hearing him were fishermen, farmers, and merchants that would have seen this, seen this situation that Jesus uses in this parable. They would have seen it every day. They would have seen it whether they were commuting to work, whether they were farming in the fields, or whether they were the ones actually doing this. But every day on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, fishermen would be seen driving posts into the ground. They would drive a post into the ground, and on that post, they would affix a, uh, one end of a giant net. And these same nets, as they are called today, would have, could have been up to a half a mile long. They would pile those same nets up next to that post, and then they would tie the other end to their boat. And they would paddle out into the, uh, the Sea of Galilee till they got that net good and tight. And then they would use the boat to circle around towards the shore again. And they would drag that net with lead weights on the bottom and floaters on the top. They would drag that net back to shore. When they got to shore, they would either hitch it to a mule or they would start to pull it in themselves. And they would pull that same net back to shore. And the fishermen and their wives would all sit on the shore and they would collect the fish as they jumped out, off the, off the, out of the water onto the beach. And they would take the valuable edible fish and they would put them either in jars of water to keep fresh until they... Uh, uh, clean them and serve them or cook them, or they would put them into jars of salt where they would prefer, preserve them and use them later. But as you can imagine, you take a, a giant net that's half a mile long and you stretch it out, out into the sea and you drag it back in a radius of half a mile, you're got, not just going to catch valuable fish. You're not just going to catch grouper and redfish and snapper and all those good things to eat. You're going to catch trash fish too. You're going to ch- catch blowfish and 
and uh, all the things that you don't want to eat, um, maybe some shellfish, and, and of course we eat that now, but, but they would not have eaten that as good Jews. You would you catch seaweed, and uh, nowadays I guess you'd drag up a car or two as well, but, <laughs> but they, they would drag everything up, and they would have to sit there and sort through, is this a good fish or a bad fish? Is this a, something we can eat or something we can't eat? And they would cycle through all of those things and they would throw away or throw back the things that they couldn't eat or that they shouldn't eat. In this parable, the net is a picture of the kingdom and the fish represent all of humanity. As we've already seen with the field in the other parables, the kingdom of God will expand into all the world. Right now, throughout this world, This very day and every day after it, the gospel is being preached. The net is being dragged out into the sea so that it might encompass all peoples. And just as that net is drawn to the shore to collect the harvest of fish, so too the net of the gospel will one day be drawn back for judgment. Now, while I was going to school at Auburn, I worked for the fisheries department at Auburn. And and the fisheries department has a a big tract of land up north of Auburn where it's covered in ponds, these little rectangular ponds where they raise all these different types of fish and they experiment with farming fish. And so as was one of my responsibilities, one thing that I had to do was every once in a while go and help them sane these these ponds and pull up the fish and uh, do experiments on. I didn't do the experiments, but I just helped them uh, catch the fish. Well, what we would do is something very similar to what they do in the Sea of Galilee. We would get in waders and we would get out into the pond about chest deep and we would take a big seine net and we would start to drag the, that seine net from one end of the pond to the other. And one day we were, we were doing that with carp and uh, as I w- or the first time I ever did it, we were doing it with carp and I was dragging that net across and I noticed when you first get in and you first start doing that, you, you'd be easily deceived to think there ain't a fish in this pond because you start walking across the pond and you don't feel a thing, maybe a bump every once in a while. But then as you, get, you start to encircle those fish and you get towards the shore, you start feeling the frantic vibration of that net as more and more fish are collected into that net and they begin to panic. In fact, when I was doing it, one of the fish, and they're big carp, about this big, they, he gets so excited, he jumps clean out of the water and smacks one of the guys right in the chest. That's how uh, aggressive they become as, they, as you collect them into that net. Now, as you close the net, they begin to bump and to get frantic, and you can imagine what's happening under the water. When the net first bumps a fish, I imagine it probably thinks nothing of it. Perhaps it swims away just a little bit and goes back to eating. He bumps again into the net and probably again thinks nothing of it and swims away. But then the press of the other fish causes a bit of a panic and he swims and he haste, in haste to free himself and maybe he jumps out of the water or he, he pushes away even harder only to bump into the net again. He turns again and again running into the net and into the group of fish, into the net, into the net again and finally he is drawn out of the water suffocating and flopping 
in desperation. So it is with the gospel and those who reject it. God, in His good grace, is patient with those who reject Him. Perhaps the Lord first uses a friend who tells them about their sin and their need for a Savior. In disgust, they respond, you can't judge me, and they pull away. Happy to live by their own terms, they go along merrily until a Gideon hands them a Bible on their way to class at university. They take it and they read a few chapters and they decide this stuff isn't for me and they put it away. Throughout their life, they see Christians on TV arguing for life and holiness and they bristle and they see or they see a believer on TikTok defending the faith and they scoff. Lying on their deathbed, a chaplain comes by to pray. They think, what harm could it do? But as the pastor prays, their heart swells with anger at the audacity that this man could have to pray for their salvation. All along, the gospel has encircled them, pointing out their sinfulness, calling them to salvation, calling them to obedience to Christ. And like that fish who swims a little further away, they reject it time and again, only to find at the end that they are entrapped by their own hard-heartedness. So this truth leads me to the second point, the certainty of judgment. Now, the more I study the teachings of Christ, the more I am convinced that the American church has patently misunderstood and misrepresented the gospel for at least the last 50 years. Some teach that Jesus is silently, tenderly calling, just waiting and wishing for us to respond. As Jimmy Wayne's country song, I Love You This Much, portrays Jesus hanging on the cross and pleading, I love you this much and I'm waiting on you to make up your mind, do you love me too? But that is not the Jesus we find in Matthew chapter 13. He is not pleading He is a farmer who plants and then distinguishes wheat from weeds. He is a fisherman that drags his net across the lake and sorts good from bad. Others teach that Jesus draws circles, not lines. That he is inclusive and seeks to bring people in and not cast them out. Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley and preacher over in Atlanta, has recently said that this is said this very thing about homosexuals, claiming that the church needs to be more, not less inclusive. But the Jesus of this parable draws a line with a net. Now, yes, he draws a circle, too, with that net. But that circle is not a circle of inclusion, but a circle of judgment. Right. So. We have teachers all throughout this world, preachers and believers who think that we should coddle, that we should, uh, should be apologetic, that we should be careful about what we say to the world. But you see, I think we in the American church have turned the gospel upside down. We teach that man is the ultimate judge. That he gets to choose between heaven and hell, Jesus and Satan, and he is the only one who must decide. In fact, we'll even say, and I've heard people say it plenty of times, that God doesn't send anyone to hell. We send ourselves there. This view of the gospel has made us weak and mush-mouthed. 
It has caused us to feel as though we have to be winsome and accommodating because we don't want people to be turned off by our talk of sin, judgment, repentance, and faith. It has caused us to make Jesus into a kind-hearted hippie that won't hurt a fly. Yet this is not the Jesus of these parables. The Jesus portrayed in these parables is the King of kings who marches in to take rightful claim of His world. He is a conquering King who will one day bring final judgment over all that He has made. We must stop apologizing for Jesus because Jesus makes no apologies for Himself. Jesus teaches the truth and he preaches it with consequences. He is the conquering king and you will either bend the knee to him in obedience or you will burn in the everlasting fire of hell. Amen. Notice this is exactly how he ends this sermon of parables. In verse 50, he says that the angels will gather all the unrighteous, and notice what it says, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Did you know that sweet, innocent Jesus, sweet, kind Jesus, preaches more about hell, it's about three times more about hell than he does about heaven. Did you know that this Jesus preaches more about hell than all the other teachers in Scripture combined? More than Isaiah, more than Ezekiel, more than Daniel, more than John the Baptist, more than Paul, more than Timothy, more, uh, more than uh, Peter. He preaches more than all of those people combined. It is a major feature of his teaching, and it has been, as we've gone through these parables, a major feature of these parables. He does this because he is the great conquering king who will one day judge this world. But he is also doing this to call you to repentance. He does this because he is a merciful king who first came to serve as the sacrifice for sin so that he might rescue those who trust in Him. But what is He rescuing you from? He is rescuing you from the judgment that He will bring. He is rescuing you and bringing you into your, His kingdom so that you might not face the judgment that He will bring at the end of this world. Yet if you will not turn, you will be judged. And the judgment of hell is painful and mournful. Notice that Jesus uses two ways of describing it. First, he compares it to a fiery furnace. Now, we have to understand when we talk about hell that we are talking about something that is both physical and spiritual. That fire is the only way that we in this physical realm have to understand the pain of hell is all now that doesn't mean that hell is only fire but Jesus in trying to help we meager mortals understand the punishment that is coming the closest thing that he can use to compare it to is a fire of everlasting torment a furnace of fire second hell is a place of unending mourning and anguish. 
Jesus says that it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In hell, there is unending wailing and weeping because of the pain, loss, darkness, missed opportunities, regret, guilt, and shame. In hell, there is the constant scratch, scratch, scratch of the grinding of teeth under the burden of sorrow and anguish. Now, I have never liked to have my children cry. I've never liked to have them suffer in any way, even for just a minute. It, it, I, I don't care for it. I would rather not have it ever happen. And to imagine a cacophony, a symphony of tears, a symphony of grinding of teeth, a symphony of pain and sorrow and anguish, not for a minute, not for a day, not for a week, but for all of eternity is just an image I cannot bear to think upon. And so, I want you to understand today, friend, that hell is no place that you want to be. It is no place of celebration. It is no place of freedom. It is no place of separation from God so that you might do what you want. Hell is a place of unending torment and pain. Now, yes, as a preacher, I would love to preach to you lovely things. I would love to preach to you just the beautiful things of grace and mercy and all of those things. But those, that grace and that mercy does not exist by itself. Grace and mercy cannot exist unless there is judgment. And so I want you to understand that the only way to escape the judgment of hell is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you do that, then you will be saved from the judgment that is to come. You see, the King is coming. Jesus will return. And when He does, the net will be closed around all of humanity and all will be called to judgment. Those who have believed in Jesus Christ and have bent the knee to Him will be brought into everlasting life with Him. But those who have rejected and despised Him, who have half-heartedly acknowledged Him, who have been fruitless in their belief, will be thrown into the lake of fire. So repent, bend the knee to Christ, and follow Him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word. It is a hard Word. It is a painful Word to think that there are those who go on in this world rejecting You in various ways, who deny You outright, or deny You by their fruit, fruitlessness, or deny You because they half-heartedly acknowledge You. But Lord, we know that uh, it is only by true saving faith. It is only by trusting in Jesus Christ and holding to Him and following Him that we have hope of life and salvation in Him. Lord, I pray that this picture of hell would turn those who have been rejecting You to You, that they would not be like that fish that would go out a little way and wait, and go out a little way and wait until the net of judgment encompasses them and draws them in for eternal damnation.
Lord, I pray instead that they would repent and believe the gospel and be saved. So, Father, bless us now as we respond in faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.